Hello, STEM Nation. Jeff here. Welcome to episode number 18 of STEM on Fire, where we interview practicing professionals in the area of science, technology, engineering, and math to help guide students interested in STEM careers. If you like what you hear on this podcast, I ask that you share it with a friend. Now let's get fired up today with our guest, David, and I hope our chat will help ignite your passion towards a STEM career. David Hughes earned his Bachelor of Science degree in chemical engineering from Penn State in 2015 and had various internships and co-ops through college and now works as a process engineer. Welcome to the show, David. Fill in any gaps and share a bit of your personal life. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, so I grew up in Ohio and, like you said, graduated from Penn State. Um, since then, I've lived, worked, lived and worked in Pennsylvania, Texas, and Colorado, and I now work overseas. All right. Hey, thanks for that, David. And for someone not familiar with chemical engineering, can you give some examples of career opportunities, and then we'll delve into your specific area of expertise? Sure. So just to start off, I had no idea what I wanted to do when I started college. Uh, so I wanted to have a high likelihood of getting a job when I graduated. So I was looking at either business or engineering, and I realized that from speaking to a lot of people that engineers can be businessmen, but it's very difficult to go the other way. So I chose engineering and then specifically chemical engineering because of the versatility that it offers with respect to career choices. So I have currently friends and colleagues in the following areas, uh, specialty chemical manufacturing, polymer science, pharmaceutical research, biomedical device development. Uh, you can go to med school if you get a chemical engineering degree. Uh, you can work in food science, uh, technical sales. I even have some friends in finance uh, or semiconductors, software, and some of my friends have even started their own companies. Yeah, so it sounds like from a chemical engineering standpoint, you know, I thought of chemical engineers mainly just running in plants, but it sounds like opportunities are pretty darn varied for chemical engineering. So let's dig into your specific area of expertise. What do you do as a chemical engineer? So just to give you a bit of my background, um, it's just as varied as all of the areas that I've described my friends doing. So I started out doing poison synthesis for toxicology research at a summer job that I had. Uh, then I went and spent a summer at a steel mill doing metallurgical research on the heat treatment of highly alloyed grades of steel. After that, I moved to a paper mill doing manufacturing work of paper towels, napkins, and toilet paper. Okay. And then I moved into the petroleum and natural gas industry where I've worked uh, in the downstream refining and petrochemical sectors. I've worked in the midstream oil and gas gathering and processing where I did system design and operation. And I now work overseas on an offshore oil and gas production platform where I work to ensure continued safety, reliability, and efficiency of operations on the platform. So you're, are you on one of those offshore rigs? Yep, absolutely. Could you, could you describe kind of what a, a day might look like out there? Yeah, so uh, a typical hitch, which is a, a work session. So I work four weeks on, four weeks off. Basically, what that looks like is at the beginning of the hitch, I will fly overseas. I'll spend one or two days in the office in country, and then I will head offshore. For the remainder of the 28 days, I'll work 12 hours a day, seven days a week. 
Uh, it's quite intense. And then at the end, I'll come back on shore. I'll do a one-day handover in the op- in the office with the engineer who is known as my back-to-back. He's the engineer that's working when I'm not. And then after that, I have four weeks off, free to do what I- whatever I want. And I assume that you're paid for all eight weeks, not just four? That's correct. All right. So it's like four four days or four weeks of work and four weeks of vacation where you can go kind of do whatever you want. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. The caveat is that you work you work 80 to 100 hours a week when you are working. So trade-offs. I suppose if you're, you're, if you're out on a rig, there's probably not a whole lot to do on the 12 hours that you have off, but maybe sleep and maybe play some games. Yeah, I mean, we have Wi-Fi. Uh, it's quite comfortable. I mean, the best parts about being out there are that all the food is provided and cooked for you. All the cleaning is done for you. Uh, They do laundry for you every day. And my favorite part is my commute is just walking down the hallway from my room to the office. Yeah, perfect. Hey, David, can we circle back a little bit? Sound like you had a lot of either internships or co-ops. Was that through college? Did college help you get those uh, internships and co-ops? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, I went to Penn State, and Penn State actually has a very strong uh, career development program and career fair, which is one of the things that I looked into when I was choosing which university I was going to go to. I just tried to take as much advantage of that as I possibly could. I went to the career fair every year. I had as many interviews as I could. I applied to as many jobs as I could. And I just felt like, you know, I, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And the best way for me to figure that out was to get as much experience and opportunities as I possibly could and gather as much data as I could to make that decision. So, David, on those internships and co-ops, a lot of times we're trying to figure out what we want to do, uh, you know, through our profession. Was there anything that came up through those internships or co-ops that you decided that, boy, I just really would not want to do this? Oh, Absolutely. Working at the steel mill for the summer, I mean, that was an amazing experience. I learned an unbelievable amount, and it's been actually quite useful even in my work um, on a day-to-day basis now. would not want to be in a steel mill environment for the rest of my career, which was great. Yeah, STEM Nation, these, these internships and co-ops, I mean, it's important to figure out what you want to do because you're going to be working maybe for 30 or 40 years, but it's almost just as important to figure out what you don't want to do through, you know, doing these internships and co-ops. So, you know... Take David's advice, you know, take his lead on going out and trying to get as many varied and, um, and just different internships to figure out what's out there and figure out what you do want to do. So thanks for that, David. Absolutely agree. So what is one thing that really has you fired up about chemical engineering and where do you see it headed? Probably the thing that has me most excited about going to work every day is refineries, chemical plants, offshore platforms, you know, the really hardcore chemical engineering application. I mean, these are some of the most complex and largest machines that humans have ever have ever built. So it's really cool to be able to go to work every day and be out there and working on making these things work. Um, one of the things that fires me up about chemical engineering specifically is it's pretty different than other types of engineering because you're solving problems that you can't see based on indirect measurements. So, for example, if you're a mechanical engineer and a part breaks, you can pretty easily see the broken part. Uh, but with your with a process engineer, you can't really see problems with the process, like liquid carryover or emulsions or anything like that. You have to rely on other 
symptoms or measurements to figure out what's going on. So a typical problem would take the form of uh, the level is rising in this vessel and I don't know why. There could be 10 or 20 possible things going on. You have to test your hypotheses and narrow down what's going on to solve the problem. It's a totally different way to state the problems than what you're familiar with in a college course, uh, but it's very cool. I love it. Yeah, sounds actually very, very interesting, very exciting. Yeah. As far as the future of the field, I would say um, I actually have some friends doing a lot of really interesting research on protein engineering, and I really believe that the biological applications of chemical engineering will be the largest area of growth in the field going forward. So would you do that with a chemical engineering degree or a biological engineering degree? You can do it with both. Um, my friends that are doing the protein engineering research are doing that in, in the scope of chemical engineering research. All right, there you have it, STEM Nation, you know, chemical engineering. It, it's got a wide and varied uh, career opportunities and choices for you. So, David, we're going to change gears here a bit, and we're going to move into an aha moment. Could you take us to a moment in time of an incredible aha moment you've had at work or your personal life and tell us the story and how you turned that aha moment into success? Sure. So one of the first procedures I had to write when I was uh, out of school and into the working world was we had to isolate some equipment that we were going to work on at the plant. Uh, and one of the valves I had in the procedure, it took about 30 minutes to open and close that valve. And it took three guys to do that. And when I was writing the procedure, I honestly had no idea that that was the case. But the aha moment for me was really how important it was to go out and see physically what you, you have going on in the field and to listen to your operators. So if you go out and see your design being put into place or your procedure carried out physically in the real world, understand each of the steps that are involved. This will make you a much better engineer. And I've tried to apply that, you know, in every project that I've had going forward since then. Now, do you find too, so when you go out to the field and you, I'll say, involve the folks that are actually going to be implementing your procedure, do you find that they value that procedure a lot more or do you have any insights into that? A hundred percent. Um, if you are out there and you're with those guys, you will get a little respect from them that, you know, is impossible to have if you are just sitting in the office behind your desk all the time. So, um, it's, it's actually quite difficult, um, to tear yourself away from the desk at some points, but it's incredibly important. So, uh, any, any chance that you can do to get out and walk around and see things in the real world, take that as much as possible. Yeah, STEM Nation, the reason I bring that up is because sometimes these, I'll say the professional jobs, the engineers, there's always people doing doing the heavy lifting, doing the work. If you've ever seen any videos of, of people working on rigs, some of those jobs can be really difficult and really challenging. And sometimes there can be tension between the two groups of folks working out there. So, Thanks for that, David. It sounds like if you go out and you involve the people that are going to be using uh, the information that you're creating and get them involved in a process, it'll be a much better work environment. Absolutely. And these guys who are out there, I mean, you know, they've a lot of them have been doing these th types of things for years. And so really, it's you're a team working to get things done rather than um, telling them what to do. 
it's, it's much more important to view it as you are a team working to get um, this objective taken care of than, you know, telling X, Y, or Z person what to do because they have unbelievable amounts of experience and information that is very valuable to you if you listen to them and apply what they tell you into your own experience. So it's definitely a two-way street. Yeah, they're the ones that really know what's going on and how to do it and how to do it better. And I think it's your job just to put that into a procedure and make sure it's it's safe. Exactly. David, we're going to transition into a topic that's front and center on STEM Nation. So getting through these rigorous STEM curriculums. So if you could go back to when you were 18 heading off to college, what are some things that you wish you knew back then or even knew back then that would help our STEMers launch into college successfully? Yeah, so I think you touched on it a little bit, but I would just say it more explicitly here. Don't feel pressured to give up activities like work experiences, co-ops, study abroad, or anything like that in order to graduate in four years. Uh, Four years is an arbitrary time frame. Like you said, I took advantage of as many work experiences as I possibly could. I actually got to study abroad in Spain for a semester while I was at school while going through the engineering curriculum. And I ended up taking five years to graduate, and I don't regret that for a minute. Um, So don't feel pressured to give up things that you want to do in order to graduate in a timeline that is the so-called norm. I'll say STEM Nation, you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, you've heard other practicing professionals talk about be open to all the opportunities that come your way. Don't turn them down. So if you're turning down an opportunity because you want to get out of college in four years, but, you know, maybe it extends it to four and a half or five to take advantage of some opportunity, you know, really take a hard look at that and and really consider going and, and taking that opportunity to open your eyes to maybe things that you didn't realize were out there. So, David, back in high school, were there any classes that really helped prepare you for the STEM curriculum? If you're in high school, just take as much math as possible, um, and that will get you ahead in the STEM curriculum. So the so-called critical path for me as far as my um, progression through college and prerequisites and things like that was based around the math education, at least in the first two years of my coursework. So just take as much math as you can, and that will help you out. Yeah, and can you can you clear something up for me? So chemical engineering, what I've heard is that it's it is one of the most difficult, I'll say engineering curriculums, diff, you know, most difficult because you're trying to solve kind of three different equations at one time. Could you explain that a little bit more? Anytime you're going through a process, you're looking at um, well, basically there's mass and heat balances that you're looking at in any type of system. One is you have to understand what's going in and what's coming out and what's happening in the middle of the process as far as chemical reactions. And then, so that takes care of your matter your matter and your mass balances. The other equation that you have to solve is, is your heat balances. So these reactions, either they require heat or they produce heat, and you have heat sources and heat sinks, and you have to balance all of those in order to make the process work and run in a continuous and predictable manner. So I would say don't be scared about the chemistry if you're looking into chemical engineering. Um, There is chemistry involved, but it's not as much as you think by any stretch of the imagination. It's a lot more um, math-focused. 
it's taking the chemistry that other chemists have uh, solved and described and scaling that up from lab scale to huge plant industrial size. Yeah, I think making engineering, making things, the, the chemicals that chemists have created. Correct. Now let's turn our attention into what skills or attributes you think STEMers need to be successful as they transition from college into their careers. Yeah, so the one that's on the top of everyone's mind is communication. But I'm going to talk specifically about communication styles. So as we've kind of talked about here in the podcast, you're going to work with many different types of people throughout your career throughout your career. You're going to work with coworkers or peers, managers, operators and technicians, finance and accounting staff, maybe salespeople, et cetera, et cetera. You know, each of these people has different backgrounds, different interests, and they care about different things with regards to your goal at work. So you need to learn who the people that you work with are, what they care about, and tailor your communication style individually to each person in order to achieve your goal. So let me get specific about that. A coworker or a peer on a technical problem might care about all the details of what you're going to do in each of the steps in order to solve this problem. But a finance or accounting person only really cares about how much it costs. They don't care about the actual details of what is what is going on so you need to be able to understand what each person is trying to uh, get out of the communication and be able to give that to them if you can do this well you'll be successful yeah david thanks for being very specific there because i'm going to add to that a little bit if you're talking to some people and you know they're in finance and you're trying and you're explaining something just to try to make yourself look smart and superior let's say you're going to be such a it's going to be a very ineffective communication, and they're not going to respond to that, even if you're giving them the message they want to hear. So, David, thanks for being very clear on that and and specifying exactly how you should communicate with your peers and coworkers. So we're going to take a quick pause here and thank our sponsor, Audible, who's offering a free audiobook. Head on over to stemonfirebook.com. That's stemonfirebook.com to get your free audiobook. David, are you ready for the lightning round? You got it. Hey, what's the best piece of advice you've ever received? The best piece of advice I've ever received is your goal and your job. The first six months, your goal is to learn your job. The second six months, your goal is to do your job. And the third six months, your goal is to improve your job. What this means is it's not enough just to do your job effectively. If you want to be truly successful, you need to be constantly looking on how you can improve what you're doing and make it better. And what is a personal habit that contributes to your success? I would say asking questions of everything. There are a lot of things that people will do because that's the way they've done them and that's the way it always is. And if you ask questions of everything and under truly want to understand why everything everything is the way it is, that's where you get the real areas of improvement and efficiency, and um, that's where you can really make a difference. And what is a favorite internet resource or phone app and why? So uh, I'm going to go real simple here. I would say Google. Um, I think that there's perhaps some people think that when you're a so-called college graduate and you're completed with your studies that you uh, know everything and that's the end all be all. But honestly, 
you can still look things up even when you are a college graduate and you should never stop learning even when you're on the job. Yep. Never stop learning. These are lifelong learning type careers and always ask questions. And what is one book you recommend and why? Uh, so if you are interested in the petroleum industry specifically, I would recommend a book called The Prize by Daniel Jurgen. And for everybody, I would recommend a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. The Power of Habit. I've actually read that book, and I recommend that one as well, because your life is built on habits that you create, and you can do things that are called habit stacking, where you get a habit, put another habit on top of it, put another habit on top of it, and that's how you become successful. Absolutely. David, as we wrap up here, can you share a parting piece of guidance for STEM Nation, and then we'll say goodbye? Sure. My parting piece of advice would be, if you want to do something, find somebody who does that thing and then ask them how they got where they did. This applies to getting into college, getting through a major, getting through a specific class, getting a job, whatever you want to do. Find somebody who, who has done that thing and ask them how they got where they did. And this is very simple, and it's a lot easier than you think. All you have to do is go up to that person and say, hey, I really admire what you're doing, and you need the story of how you got to where you are now. Even if it's someone that you don't know, people love it when you ask this question. And I have never encountered anyone who has not been responsive to me when I've gone up to them and asked that question. Yeah, and I'll say STEM Nation, if you are if you hear somebody on the podcast that you'd like to reach out to, you know, go find them on LinkedIn and uh, say, hey, I heard you on the podcast and I have some questions for you. And I bet you they'd be more than happy to strike a conversation with you. So thanks for that, David. And with that, we'll say goodbye. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our discussion today with David. Head on over to stemonfire.com, subscribe to the email list to keep up with the latest happenings, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And again, if you're getting value from this podcast, please share it with a friend. Tune in next week where we talk with John, who is a robotics embedded software engineer. Until next time, I hope this chat has helped ignite your passion towards a STEM career.